right, welcome to the porch. Welcome, friends in the room, friends in Houston and Fort Worth and downtown Dallas, kicking off tonight at Gillies. Uh, welcome, friends, for the first night down there. Uh, a few uh, years ago, I guess it was a couple years ago, um, JP called me and said, hey, there's a, a vacation deal that I've got with uh, um, somebody basically sent me and I have this vacation deal. Would you and your wife want to come with me and my wife? We'll go to Mexico, we'll hang out at a resort. It'll be a vacation. Uh, won't bring kids. It'll be awesome. And, uh, and it's a crazy steal of a deal because the, the uh, hotel was finishing up kind of construction. It was just finishing up. And so it was like $1,000 for two people for a week. It was an unbelievable deal. And I was like, yes, duh. So we, uh, we loaded up, went to Mexico, got there, really excited. This is going to be awesome. And, uh, and all, all of us get to the hotel resort and begin to check in at the hotel. And uh, there were two sides to the hotel resort. There was this family side where uh, kids were, uh, you know, everywhere, and it was kind of different restaurants. And then there was this adults-only side called Heaven. And, uh, <laughs> true story. And, uh, and we were told that we would be on the family side, and so it was like, this will be great, and it'll be funny. As we go to check in, and JP and Monica, they're put on the family side. And then they say, uh, you, David, and your wife, Callie, are uh, on the adults-only side. You're in Heaven. And immediately, I'm like, uh, oh, man, we're not going to be with our friends but I think we're going to have to head over to heaven and leave this guys with the kids. So I hate that for you guys. You can come over and see us. So immediately we're like seeing visions of, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to be hanging out with no kids running around. They're over there in Chuck E. Cheese, essentially. And we're over here. We've got young adult couple friends. They're going to be making memories. It's going to be great. We'll let them come over, you know, and hang out at our place during the week. But uh, this is going to be amazing. So they, uh, they take us and they take us to the different rooms and we get on this golf cart and they begin to drive us over to heaven. And, uh, and very quickly, it, it begins the picture that I had in my mind about the people that would be on that side and what it would look like begins to dramatically change because it was like we, we checked in on the family side and everything as we went in the direction of heaven all of a sudden got darker and darker and it was like we entered into the construction zone. Everywhere that you look, there's construction, there's caution tape going on. We literally had to go underneath a painting tarp to get to our room We're like this is not exactly what I thought heaven was gonna look like. This looks more like hell. And uh, we're heading into our room and, and there's literally construction people everywhere. Like there's just individuals with hard hats. There was only one other couple that we saw over there. It was almost like all of the family side was full and they were like, well, we can send these guys over there. They'll think it's great. And so we're getting over there. True story, we go inside of our room. The, the tub is not finished yet. So we can't, we don't have access to the tub or the shower. And as soon as it's like, it was like on cue, when we put our bags down, all of a sudden, there's a jackhammer right outside of our window. I look out, there's a guy at hard hat jackhammering away at like nine o'clock at night. I'm like, oh my gosh, where are we right now? This is not what I expected heaven to look like. And there's construction people everywhere. This is not what I thought, who I thought would be amongst our friends over in heaven. Clearly we had been surprised. And the reason I start there is just like in that situation where uh, when it came to what I had imagined or what I pictured in terms of who would be at heaven and what it would look like and what it would be like uh, tonight, we're going to continue the series Bad Advice and look at a equally as shocking for many people, someday we'll find out, the uh, belief that they have about what heaven will be like and who is there is radically different than they think or they expect. Like in that same way that we didn't expect it to be filled with construction workers, but it filled with uh, friends or soon to be friends and fun that in the same way that we were surprised to figure out who was there in the same way someday people will come to see those who are in heaven and be surprised. Specifically, the bad advice 
that many people believe that is not in line with what is true about heaven is that good people are in heaven, that good people go to heaven. The bad advice that we're gonna talk about tonight is this idea and one of the most pervasive, widely held, most widely believed ideas and inside of this room, even many Christians have bought into this idea that's so common that good people go to heaven, that when you look at, hey, who are the people that are in heaven? It's good people. There is no single lie that is sending more people to hell on our planet than the idea that good people go to heaven. Just be a good person. And maybe no idea as it relates to God more widely believed inside of our country, more tragically believed inside of our country than the idea that, yeah, good people go to heaven. I mean, God's up there and kind of to each his own and figured out and try to be a good person and just try to be a good, at the end of the day, we really don't know, so just try to be nice. And I think the reason why a lot of, us, a lot of people grab onto that idea is, is at some level it makes sense. Like at some level, it kind of like jives with our, our feeling of fairness. Like it just seems like, yeah, you know, it should, it seems kind of fair that, you know, if you're a good person, it's a good God and you'll go to a good heaven. So just kind of do your best. Nobody's perfect. So give it your best shot. And as long as you're not, you know, Hitler, you'll probably end up in heaven. And then I think also it, it almost aligns with what every other world religion seems to kind of encourage. They all kind of encourage a good life. So try to be a good life. But it doesn't take long, if you think about it, to realize, man, there's some serious problems with the idea of good people going to heaven. One of them, namely the Bible, which we're gonna look at in a second, but even if you just like hit pause and you think about it, if good people go to heaven, you are immediately faced with the problem that we don't actually have a definition of what is good. You think about this? Like there's no universally accepted definition of what's good. Stay with me and we're gonna dive into what Paul says as it relates to this idea. But if good people go to heaven, then how do we know what is good? Like people disagree. And we're Americans, so we think, no, everybody pretty much thinks the same thing. There are people all over the world who very much disagree about what is good. There are people who will say it is the ultimate good. You will go to the highest level of heaven if you put a suicide vest on you and go into a stadium and blow up little children. There are people who think that's not only good, that's the highest level of heaven good. Think about that. And then there's people who think that's one of the greatest, you will not spend eternity with God for doing something like that. That's one of the greatest evils you can commit. There isn't a universally accepted consensus of, hey, just be a good person. We don't, not only do we not know what good is, there's not even a clear, you would think if that really system kind of worked, we would have some idea of like, hey, how much good you have to be or what's passing like, what's, what, how much, how good is good enough, it's been said. Like, what is kind of, is it 51%? You just got to kind of tip the scale a little bit. Maybe it's 70%. Is that where the grading system came from? Like, hey, as long as you get a C, you're pretty much in good to go. Is it grading on a curve? Is Mother Teresa, is she kind of got the 99 and all of us, however close you can get to her is really how good you have to be or will determine where you spend eternity. And I know that sounds silly, but think about it. If good people go to heaven, we're in a lot of trouble because we don't know what good is and even if we did, we don't know what passing is. We don't know what, what, uh, how many points we get for different good actions and how many to minus for bad actions. And the, finally, the biggest reason why is the Bible and what God's word or what the scriptures tell us about this idea of good people go to heaven. Because if you're gonna stand on the idea of, hey, good people go to heaven, you cannot stand on what God's word says. You won't find that idea in here. 
And Paul's gonna lay that out tonight, the biggest problems as it relates to this idea. So we're gonna be in Romans chapter three. If you have a Bible, you can flip open to Romans chapter three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and uh, uh, it'll be up on the screens if you don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in Dallas in the Welcome Center uh, that is a free gift to you. You can go by afterwards and get that. You can download an app on your phone too as well. But Romans chapter three, we're gonna start in verse 10 of chapter three. Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome around 57 AD. So 30 years after Jesus uh, resurrects, goes to heaven, the church begins. The Apostle Paul was the artist or the apostle formerly known as Saul, tried to kill Christians, converts, becomes a believer in Jesus, radically gives his life to see Jesus made known everywhere. He writes his longest work, Romans. Romans has been called the greatest book ever penned by a human. And the chapter that we're gonna look at tonight, specifically one of the paragraphs we're gonna read, has been called the greatest words ever written by a person of all time, the greatest paragraph in human existence. So tonight we're gonna start in verse 10 and we'll track through what Paul says is the problem with the idea, the belief that good people go to heaven. Here's what he says, verse 10, second half. Second half. There is no one righteous or no one who has a right standing is that word righteous. Righteous is not a word we use a ton outside of church, maybe, but no one who has a right standing or an okay relationship with God, no one who stands and can stand uh, before God perfectly. There's not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God. That Christianity doesn't teach that uh, we find God, it really teaches that God finds you that if you ever come to faith and I ever come to faith, it comes in a moment where God, uh, apart from God, we don't seek him, but he seeks out us. We're gonna keep going. All have turned away. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That Paul says by God's standard of righteousness or God's standard of what is good, that there is not a single person who has ever lived who is good, who's seeking after God, who is righteous, who acts righteously, that according to God's standard, which clearly must be a very different standard than ours, and we'll talk about in a second, that there is not a single person on the planet. The problem with being, hey, just good people go to heaven, is Paul would say, there are no good people. So if that's the standard, nobody gets in. Our first idea from the text is really that no one is good enough for heaven. No one is good enough for heaven, which I think just doesn't sit well with us as Americans because, uh, you know, I read that and I go, man, I feel like I've seen some good people. You know, people who do heroic actions. They do good things. They care for elderly people. They, uh, you know, you watch some Facebook video that people are sending around. You're like, gosh, I just am restored faith in humanity. This is beautiful. This guy stopped to go help this guy's tire. Paul would say that what makes someone good, or heaven's definition of goodness is very different than a human's definition of goodness. Like a human definition of goodness is, hey, they're good for the most part. You ever think about that? Like a human definition is like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, they're pretty much good for the most part. They got a good heart, good guy. Heaven's definition is good in every part. The reason that no one is good enough, a reason heaven can say, hey, there is no one who's good. As good as you think you are, as good as your grandma thinks you are, you are not good by God's standard by heaven's standard, because it's not just good for the most part, it's good in every part. Uh, it's not just similar to, I've been like gone traveling for the past couple weeks and, and got back in town, and, uh, and we had all this different food, and if you travel and you come back home, there's food, what happens to it? It begins to like rot and spoil, right? Like you go to get the milk, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is expired, how bad is this? Pour it on the cereal, and here's what happens whenever like milk has gone bad, and it's like beginning to curdle, 
I never once am like, ah, let me get the drainer strainer out here and just pour that out, get those things out of there, dump it out, and then put it in this thing. No, <laughs> nobody does that. Why? Because they're not like, oh, but there's still some that's good. I can still use that. No, you go, the entire thing has been rotted. It's all bad. The entire thing has spoiled. In the same way, heaven says, look, it's not, hey, it's kind of good for the most part here. There's just a few curdles. Heaven says the entire thing, if, there's, if it's not all good, it is not good. Heaven's definition or God's standard, God's definition of what is good is very different, even if that's not sitting right with you. Like, no, I think people are good. God would say that's because you have a warped human definition of goodness. You've never seen perfect goodness. And the problem with good people go to heaven is that no one is good. No one is good in every part. Even the Bible, let me just remove this. That's your first time back in church, maybe in a while, or maybe you were raised and, and uh, maybe you grew up in uh, denomination or expression of faith and you're just kind of like, in the Bible though, about good people, kind of these different stories about good people who lived and they lived these lives and they lived good lives and we should try to be like them. The Bible's not full of stories about good people. Like, and I mean that very literally. If you read inside of the stories, you're like, wait a second, it's not, it's not filled with stories of good guys? What about Abraham. Abraham pimped out his wife twice, which is at least two times too many. Can we all agree? <laughs> I mean, literally, he was like afraid they're gonna kill me. Oh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. Right, peace out, I'll see you in a little bit. Okay, that's what Abraham did. And you know, all right, what about, uh, what about David? David kills one of his best friend after sleeping and impregnating his wife. That he sleeps with one of his best friend's wife, gets her pregnant, and then to cover it up, he has his best friend, or one of his best friends, killed. I mean, we won't even let you serve at the porch if you do that kind of thing. David's writing the Bible. You think this is like uh, oh, filled with uh, good stories, good people. Moses kills a guy with his bare hands. Paul spent his life, as the artist formerly known as Saul, trying to kill, or the first half of his life, trying to kill Christians, going around trying to stomp out Christianity. Peter, maybe like, well, Peter's kind of a good guy. Peter betrays Jesus three times on his, in Jesus' worst hour of need. And then even after Jesus rises from the dead and Peter's go get him leader of the church, Peter gets called out very early in church history by Paul for being racist. You're gonna read it in Acts chapter 15. And these are they're not stories of men who are like, these are just incredible men. On and on through the list we could go. It's not a story of a bunch of good guys. It's a story of a bunch of bad guys and one good guy. And all the bad guys kill the one good guy. That's how bad all of humanity is. The one good guy named Jesus shows up and all the bad guys kill him. And that one good guy was God who came in the form of human flesh to die on a cross because there is no one good and no one good enough to heaven. And that God knew that and he sent himself and went into the world to die the death in our place that you and I deserved. I think that, man, it's so true. I think in like our, uh, from an earth perspective, you go, Man, I just, it's, sometimes, it's hard to believe. I just don't understand. How can a God, perfect God, send people to hell? And I think that from heaven's perspective, maybe from the angel's perspective, that's not the question they wonder. It's how can a perfect God let any of these people into heaven? And Paul's gonna answer that question for us. He continues in verse 19. Now we know whatever the law says, as in the Old Testament, it says to those who are under the law. So he's talking about to Jewish people. So whatever the law of the Old Testament says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. What are you saying, Paul? 
Paul just said that, hey, uh, in case you're thinking, well, the only reason uh, that people break the law or Gentiles, which is non-Jews, break the law is they don't have the law. They, they drove over the speed limit because they don't know the speed limit. And Paul says that even people who had the law or who knew the speed limit, they still drive over the speed limit or they still broke the speed limit. Everyone is held accountable. Everyone before God has fallen short and has not kept the law or the laws of God. He continues and says it as clear as any verse that we're gonna look at or any verse that you could apply towards any world religion. Any verse that will clear up the uh, false idea that, hey, if you're good, if you do the good things and be obedient, then God will love you or you earn a relationship. Here's what he says. Therefore, verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. No one will be declared righteous with God by observing or by obeying what God's word or God's law says. Think about that. That there is no one who will be declared if they do enough things, they follow the law, they do the right things, that they will be, they'll earn a relationship with God. They'll be good enough. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. He basically says what all of us have experienced. It's like the law isn't a reminder of how great we're doing. The law is really there only in a way that, that um, points out when we fail to meet it. In other words, I've never had a police officer, you never had a police officer that just pulls you over and is like, hey, I just wanna like clap it, slow clap for you for driving the speed limit. Like, that was awesome. They pull you over when you break the law. They're not like, the IRS doesn't show up and is like, man, I just feel like you've been doing so great at paying your taxes on time. Way to go. This is awesome. No, they say, hey, you haven't been paying your taxes on time. You only see the expressions of the law when you break the law. Paul says that's because the law doesn't do anything to save you. It just points out where you fall short. And no one, by obeying the law, will earn the right to have a relationship with God. Paul brings us to our second idea, which is doing good will not make you good enough for heaven. That there is no one good, Paul says. No one who is good. And that doing good, you trying to be a good person, trying to live a good life, try to follow the good book, will not earn you the right to have a relationship with God in eternity. It will not allow you to enter heaven. That if you and I, or which is what every world religion teaches, Paul says, following the law does not earn the favor of God. No one will be made good or good enough by doing good. I mean, if you really think about it, there, here's what like, doesn't always make sense to me. It's, I think that a lot of people behind the idea of like, hey, if you do a good person, just do enough good that outweighs the bad, uh, it, as though there's a justice system somewhere on the planet where that would actually make sense. Like, hey, as long as you do enough good, it can make up for any bad that you do. I mean, think about that. In what universe would that actually work? What, what universe would a lawyer stand with his client and be like, yes, so he shot the guy in the leg. But... He hasn't shot any other guys in the lake. Yeah, he defrauded the IRS, but he, look at all the years he hasn't defrauded the IRS. And what universe does like, oh, I've been, I've been pretty much doing meeting the standard most of the time, and that will make up for when I don't meet the standard. There's no justice system in our country that would say that's okay. No justice system that would say, uh, if someone wrecked into your car and did a hit and run, and they found him, and they found him out, and he was like, look, time out. How about I just mow your lawn? for you know, the next six weeks. Would that, are we cool then? Or whatever amount of time would be equal to it? No. That there has to be a consequence. The idea of doing good doesn't make up for bad. Even in, on this planet, 
let alone with a holy, perfect God and his standard. Jesus even said, to, in Jesus' first sermon in Matthew chapter five, so he did a sermon on the mount, and, uh, and like 15 verses in, very early, some of the first words we hear of Jesus, he looks into this audience of people, and he looks over at this group of men called Pharisees. Pharisees were professional do-gooders. That's all that they did, literally. They didn't have jobs. They were professionals at keeping God's law. They had memorized the entire Old Testament in Hebrew. Most of you haven't read the Old Testament. They had memorized the entire thing. They were men who literally didn't have jobs. Hey, I would, but I'm serving God. I'm keeping every single one of these laws. I'm perfect. Or to the law, I am as good as they're gonna come. And Jesus looks over to these men who devoted everything. I mean, they, they didn't sleep, drink, chew, date girls who do anything like that. And Jesus looks at them and he says, unless you are a better person than these guys, you will not enter heaven. Think about that. I mean, for us, for normal people, we'd be like, oh my gosh, yep, I got no chance. These guys literally, that's all that they do is do what God's word says. And Jesus says, unless you're even better than them, you will not enter into heaven. He says, you will not enter into heaven, is his point, by being a good person. There is only one way. And he's gonna tell us that inside of the next point where he lays out, but probably the clearest example that we have in scripture of not, uh, not a person who spends their life obeying everything and Jesus saying, hey, that's not gonna work, but the opposite, a person who spends his life literally running from God, a person who was, uh, ended up having to experience the death penalty because he was a criminal, a person who had ne- done nothing right in his life. In other words, if they had done everything right, this guy had done nothing right. It happens, we told, we're told the story in Luke chapter 23, which Luke is just one of the gospels. And in chapter 23, uh, we're told of kind of the last hours that Jesus lived as he was being crucified, that it says they took him out and they put him on this hill called the hill of the skull and they crucified Jesus. And it says they put him between these two criminals. And a criminal in that day was not someone who was crucified just for like, oh, you kind of stole some pita bread from the marketplace down the road. It wasn't a person who did that. A a person, in order to be crucified, had to be a level of criminality that would be equivalent with someone who would be on death row in our civilization or in our time. That it wasn't just kind of everybody. In fact, the word for criminal is literally a word for traitor or pirates. This person was maybe a murderer, maybe someone who had committed rape. He'd done everything wrong. And he's hanging on a cross next to the son of God who had done everything right. And in between uh, these two criminals, all of a sudden there begins to be an exchange, a dialogue. Jesus and the two criminals beginning to talk with one another and with Jesus. And one of them begins to hurl insults at Jesus. He says, you saved other people. You allowed blind people to see you. You allowed lame people to begin to walk. You raised people from the dead and you're being crucified. Save yourself and save us. And it says that the other criminal looked at Jesus and looked at the other criminal and he said, don't you know what you're saying? This man, Jesus, is not deserving of death. We are here because we deserve to be. This man is innocent. And it says, the Bible, Luke tells us, the criminal then begins to ask Jesus for a favor. And he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I mean, this man who had done nothing right, think about it. 
Like, like he spends his entire life running from God and now he's hanging on a cross and he has the audacity to ask Jesus, hey, will you do me a favor? Can you allow me to go to heaven? I mean, what would the son of God, what would perfect righteousness, perfect perfection, maybe some of you would think that he would look over and be like, yeah, nice try, buddy. You seriously, you're gonna, at the fourth quarter, this is what you're gonna do? I mean, what, what do you think? Like, what are you gonna make me some sort of rededication promise? Like, Jesus, I promise I'll never do anything again. I promise, never lie, never steal. It's worthless. There's nothing that he can offer. And Jesus looks at the man and says, today you will be with me in paradise. He did nothing right. Think about that. And the son of God, grace in human form, the God that many of you think that if you were to ask him for mercy, God, will you allow me to be with you in paradise? That he would look at you and say, yeah, get your act together. Jesus looks at this man who could do nothing for God. And he says, today, despite all the baggage, all the pain you've created, criminal, you are coming with me to paradise. Because it is not by doing good that you get good with God or you get good enough with heaven, but only by accepting the grace of God, the sacrifice of God that is made by me on the cross, you'll be with me in paradise. And Paul's about to say exactly that. In verse 21, here's where we go. But now, Paul says, so you won't get, nobody is good. You can't get uh, good with God by being a good person. You can't have right standing or righteousness with God, but he tells us how you can. But now a righteousness with God, from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. They've always been predicting and pointing to this righteousness that could come, not by being good or by obeying the law. This righteousness from God comes through faith, or the word trust. Trust in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference that in a moment that someone says, I trust that you, Jesus, on the cross, you paid for my sin. You paid for everything in my past. Everything that even right now, is a part of my life, the sin that I, I hate or maybe that I don't even hate. That's how broken I am. You paid for it, everything in my future that I don't even know. Paul says in a moment where they put their trust that Jesus on the cross finished it, it's paid for. They received the righteousness or right standing with God. He continues, it gets even better. There's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. The word justified is the same word for righteousness in the Greek language. It's, it's the verb form of the word righteousness. Here's what that means. It's the word righteousified. Like when we think justified, it's kind of like a judge sitting there and like hit the gavel and yeah, you know, you're pardoned, justified. Uh, the word is so much more than that. It's you are in a moment where you trust what Jesus did on the cross. He paid for your sin. God looks at you and says, you're righteousified. You have the righteousness of Christ Jesus imputed or passed on to you. That in a moment where you believe, it's as though he says, you have been made declared forever the very righteousness of Christ. The right standing that Jesus has with the Father is all of a sudden passed on to you. This takes place freely, as in without cost, to the one who will accept it. By his grace, through the redemption 
or the purchase that is in Christ Jesus, that in a moment where you trust, you're righteousified. Here's further what that means. I think we think of uh, kind of righteous or justified, and we think of, oh man, a, a clean slate, that's great. Jesus is righteousness given to me, clean slate. It's that, but it's so much more than that. That it's not just some sort of, ah, he lived a perfect life, and I think it was pretty easy for him because he's God, right? And it wasn't just, hey, this perfect life is kind of passed on to you. It's not just that, but it is that in addition to what that righteousness led him to do, which was die on the cross, do the most heroic thing in all of human history, that he would give his life and all the glory and all the amazing and all the wonder that that righteousness would be due as an expression of what, because of that righteousness, he deserves, all of that's passed on to you. It's not just, hey, you're pardoned. It's like, hey, you get the medal of honor. But the righteousness that belongs only to Jesus, if you will accept it, is yours. And not only that, but he, redemption, purchased anyone who will trust in what he did on the cross. That's what the word redemption means, is purchased. God presented him, that's Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement. To atone is to basically stand in someone's place that, hey, you deserve uh, you are the person who is in trouble, but I will stand in your place and I'll take and take the, the punishment of the consequence that you deserve. Through faith in his blood, God did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. That God had, uh, basically Paul introduces a, a little bit of a complicated idea that basically, hey, God shows us how just he is because not only was uh, Christ on the cross paying for the sins in the future, but all the sins that man had created ever since Adam and Eve, that God was holding back, holding back the punishment, and in Jesus, he was paying for all of them, that every sin will be paid for. He did it to gen- demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be the one who is just and justifies those who have faith in Christ Jesus, that God, unlike the idea that, hey, if you're a good person, you get to go to heaven, where you kind of get the glory. Let's be honest. I mean, it's kind of like, no, you know, not me, you know, I'm kind of a good person, you know, but in the system that actually exists, God gets all of the glory. He's the one who saves. He's the one who died in your place. He's the one who lived the life you could not live. He's the one who allows those uh, who accept his gift to have eternal life with him, that God gets all of the praise, that all the emphasis is on him. Brings us to our third idea from this text, which is only God can make you good. Only God can make us good. Only God can make us good. That no one will ever be able to reach heaven without God's help. Uh, That all of us, as the verse says, have fallen short of God's standard. Uh, It's not dissimilar to this, because here's where I think we get caught. I think we go, man, no one is good enough, but there really are some good people, and I think that they try, and they have a good heart, and they do good things, and they're not as bad as a lot of people that I see out there. The Bible presents us this idea of that there's just a standard that is too high, that no matter how good we are, we'll never be able to get there, no matter how much we try. It'd be like this. Let's say we had a swimming competition, and we're going to have a swimming competition. Here's the distance you have to swim. You have to swim from New York to London or to Great Britain. All of a sudden, we may have swimmers inside of the room that are like, oh man, yeah, I think I could do it. I swim in high school, and that'll be great. And then there's other people, and no matter who you have, like, you know, I may make it one mile, you may make it five, Michael Phelps may make it 50, but nobody's making it to London or Great Britain. That everyone will fall short, that the standard is just an impossible thing to meet. 
And the scriptures tell us that everyone, no matter how good that we think that they are, has fallen short of God's standard. But what does God do? Does he just say, man, these guys are pathetic. They can't even swim more than 50 miles. It's unbelievable. What does he do? Does he look down at humanity and say, man, they just can't be good enough. I'm done with those people. No, he displays his goodness by moving towards the badness of humanity and running after the human human race that had rebelled against him, that had run from him, that doesn't even think a lot of times for the majority that they need him. And what does he do? What does the heart of God do? It goes and takes on a cross and dies in their place. Inside of the goodness of God, we don't find some system of like we're trying to reach up and we just can't get there. We find a God who's reaching down and saying, cling on to me, will you trust in me? And what I did on the cross, if you think that you're a good enough person to go to heaven, you're arrogant. I used to think that that was like, it was kind of humble to be like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be good. And, you know, will I go to heaven? I don't know. You know, I guess we'll see. And I'm trying to do the best that I can. I used to think, man, that's pretty humble. And then one day I realized that's arrogant because it assumes that I could actually be good enough if I try hard enough and I'm disciplined enough that I could actually be good enough to earn my right into heaven. And God says that arrogance will keep you out of heaven and send you to hell. It is the pride that sent Satan out of heaven, the pride that sent our parent, or the Adam and Eve out of Eden. And it is the most deadly force moving through our country right now where most people, and so many of you inside of this room, you think that you're a good person or you think that if you are, you're able to be a good person, that God will accept you, that's arrogant, and you're arrogant, and he will not accept you on that basis. There is only one way to have eternal life, and that's by accepting the perfect sacrifice that was made for you and for me by Jesus in his death on the cross in our place. I think there's something like skeptical about us and and maybe it's just it's human nature where it's hard to the idea that like hey it's a free gift just accept it you don't have to do anything to earn it Christianity unlike every other world religion you can guarantee yourself heaven in your chair right now think about that just by accepting the free gift and I I think we're all like skeptical of like free it's too good to be true Uh, I don't know if I can accept that like in general we're just skeptical of anything that's free when people tell us hey this is uh free opportunity, a free trip, or a free credit card. Uh, we're all just kind of a little bit skeptical. In fact, one day, uh, not long ago, if you were with us a couple years ago, you remember when we went, we bought an iPad because we believed this was true. We bought an iPad. We went to North Park Mall, which is a mall here in Dallas, and we uh, just went to go see, hey, if we put a sign that says, ask me, or if you want a free iPad, ask me for one. And, uh, and we went out there, and we stood in North Park Mall, and literally, we made a video of it. We're not going to show it. But uh, inside of that, that uh, uh, time where we just stood there with a sign saying, ask me about a free iPad, um, not a single person asked. I mean, literally, the next day at the porch, we were like, we have an iPad. We're just going to give it away to somebody. And, uh, and true story, it happened. But no one asked because we're kind of all skeptical. In the same way, when it comes to the gospel, there's part of human religion and a lot of our thinking That's an obstacle that you, if you ever are gonna experience eternal life, will have to get over. That if you access heaven, it will not be because you earn it or you deserve it, but because God freely gives to anyone who will accept it, anyone who will just trust that he paid for their sin on the cross. 
that they cannot, they'll take their trust off themselves. I can't be a good enough person. I'll never be there. But I'm accepting that you died in my place on the cross for me. He says, anyone who accepts that is forever righteousified. Stands with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Forever theirs. Despite every, despite the abortion in your past. Despite the ways that like, man, you just dishonored God. You know that you have with your body. Despite the times you've looked at pornography. Despite the times you've stuck a finger down your throat. Despite the times that, that you just like are riddled with anxiety. And you really don't trust God. Despite all of those things that he looks at you and says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As righteous as Jesus, the lamb who was slain, are you, if you've accepted that. Despite all of your baggage, despite everything that you've done wrong, despite everything that I've done wrong. That in the midst of, we're just broken sinners. And if you're here for the first time back in church, I hope that you hear, if nothing else, you have come into a place that is full of really broken, messed up, sinful people. And we're all finding healing and hope in Christ. And we're all waiting to be taken home. But there's no perfect pastor up here. The guy on the stage is uh, probably just, not even probably, is just, if not more, messed up than everybody out there. And the people around you are just as messed up as the person of you. Uh, as we've said before here, like if you knew everything that I thought or did, you would not listen to me preach. And if we knew everything that you thought or did, we would not let you in here. And, uh, and you're just surrounded by people who are not perfect. But they have found a perfect savior. And we don't think we're better than you. We think we're better off than we used to be. Because we have found the only way to have eternal life. No other religion work. No other religion paints the picture of this God who is love, who comes in, who died in our place. I'll, I'll close here and land the plane. I, uh, the reality of good people going to heaven or the lie is bad advice. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. And the only way to get forgiveness is by putting your faith or your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. I remember this whole message, honestly, this week uh, made, reminded me of a conversation that I had when I was like in 10th grade um, years and years ago with a uh, guy. I was a believer at the time, and I remember uh, I was in uh, IPC. You know, remember IPC, Integrated Physics and Chemistry class? So we're in there. I don't know if we're dissecting frogs. I don't know what we're doing inside of that class. Um, clearly didn't pay attention well enough. But we're in that class, and I had this friend whose name was Austin. He was Jewish. He was sitting next to me. I was a believer. I was a Christian. And I remember like just talking to him about faith all the time. And one day he hit me, and he was like, dude, so what you're telling me is that if you are a Christian, no matter what you do, if you've put your faith in Jesus, like you believe he paid for your sin on the cross, he died in your place, that, that God came down as a man in Christ and he died for your sin and he rose from the dead. And if you believe that, then you spend eternity with God, regardless of what you've done on this planet. And I said, yes. And if you don't believe that, regardless of what you've done on this planet, then you spend eternity away from God or in hell. And I said, yes. And he said, wait a second, so you're telling me that if Gandhi, Gandhi, I mean, Gandhi was a great guy. Gandhi, remember, he was the guy who like, I sleep with virgins just to show how disciplined that I am right now. Gandhi was a guy who did nothing wrong and he's such a good guy. He's a guy all about peace. You're telling me that Gandhi, who never, as far as we know, trusted in Jesus, if Gandhi never trusted in Jesus, that Gandhi would spend eternity with hell 
or in hell. But if, if Hitler, at the end of his life, came to this place where he was like, man, I, act, I, I repent of what I've done. I'm, I'm, I can't believe what I've done. God, I'm begging you. I ask that you would forgive me. I'm trusting not in what I've done or what I haven't done, but in what you did on the cross dying in my place, that Hitler would go to heaven? And I said, yes, that's what I'm saying. He said, that's just so messed up. And we began to dialogue. We began to talk about, you know why that is? Because maybe inside of your room, you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I know that. I don't know if I, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Here's what the Bible teaches. From Gandhi to Hitler to Mother Teresa to you in your chair right now, you've all, and myself included, sinned against an eternal being, an eternal God, a God who is holy and perfect. And the punishment for that sin is eternal death. And you may be going, man, it's a little extreme, you know? Like, hey, we did just a couple bad things. Boys will be boys. Really, eternal death? I mean, we, we understand that the higher a person's status is, the higher an offense against them, the consequence will be. In other words, like if you trespass on my lawn, there's not really gonna be anything that happens to you. If you trespass on the president's lawn, you get shot. And an offense against God Almighty, the wages of that sin is death, eternal death. And Hitler has sinned against God by will, by birth, and by choice. Gandhi has sinned against God. You have sinned against God. And there's an eternal death sentence. And that death sentence will only be paid or an eternal debt must be paid or will be paid in one of two ways. Either a person will reject Christ or just spend their whole life thinking I can earn my way to God and they will spend eternity paying for the offense of sinning against a perfect God where they will have eternal death for all of eternity or they will accept the eternal death of Christ, an eternal God who became a man and died. Either they will pay for eternity what Christ, being an eternal God, did in a moment by dying in their place, or they will trust in Jesus and spend eternity with God forever in heaven. That's what the Bible teaches that's why Hitler and Gandhi, they've all fallen short. We think there's such a huge gap. The gap isn't between Hitler and Gandhi. It's between humanity and God. But God made a way. He bridged the gap for anyone who will trust in him. He's paid for that sin. He hasn't made it so like you have to climb and work your way to him. Why would God even allow sin into this world? Why would he allow that to happen? God didn't create the world with sin. Man introduced sin into the world. God created the world perfect and he will restore it. And every sin that's been created or committed will be paid for either by the person who committed it or was paid for on the cross. And the offer to all humanity is extended that your sin has been paid for. Why would God even allow Adam and Eve, maybe you think, maybe you've wondered, why would he even allow Adam and Eve the chance to be disobedient. Like, why would you put the tree there? Just get rid of the tree. Because God created an environment that could allow them to have the thing that without free will you can't have, a relationship, trust, love. That he created an environment that allowed, man, hey, I don't wanna just have robots. I wanna have a place where I, there's a relationship with one another 
Well, that was a pretty crazy and stupid thing that you would do because now there's gonna have tons of people going to hell. I died in their place. That is not some God who's distant off in this distant land, doesn't care about humanity. That he came down and died on a cross made of wood that he created from a tree that he gave life to by humans that he formed in their mother's womb. That the same humanity that he loved mocked and spit on him, killed and crucified him. The same humanity that he was on the planet to pay for their sin. The same humanity that's in this room. The same humanity that's on this stage. That whatever your conception about God, whatever your conception about the God the Bible presents is not like any other God out there. He's the only one who is there. And there is no religious system that even comes close. There's not an, a reference to Allah being a love. There's no stories of any other gods who take on human flesh and die for mankind. This is a love that's beyond any other understanding of any other religious system, any other love the world has ever seen. God is not some distant force that doesn't care. What sort of a God would take on human flesh and die for you? Whatever you believe about God, you cannot actually believe that, that he doesn't care. He cares enough to die in your place because you can't be a good enough person. And if you think you can, you're arrogant. And may God have mercy on you and show you that you will spend eternity in hell if you do not trust, not in what you do, not in how good of a person you are, not despite the bad things that you've done, not the fact that you had an abortion and I'm scared that maybe God won't, but in Jesus and what he did on the cross, there is only one way. And those who will spend eternity with God in heaven will not be good people. They will be forgiven people. And the God who is there, man, Lord, is so amazing and extravagant in his love that he has stretched out his hands to die on a cross. I'm gonna close, I'm landing the plane. I'm landing it right now. A love that for all of eternity, those who trust in him will worship and see displayed on full form. And the offer extends to anyone inside of this room. If you've never trusted in what Christ did, tonight is your night. And if you have, here's what I know. Here's why this message is so applicable. Because you live and move and have your being around people at your job, in your apartment, next door, in your house, in your family. They've bought the lie. They've bought the lie that good people go to heaven. Doesn't even make sense. But the greatest lie that Satan has sold, at least our country, is that if you're good, God will love you. But you're not good and God does love you enough to die for you. If you'll accept what he's done, you'll spend eternity with him forever and ever. Let me pray that we would. Father, thank you. Man, Lord. Thank you feels like I don't even think, it, it feels stupid and foolish to even say thank you for dying an eternal death in my place. The full extent of a sacrifice like that, I don't even have the ability to understand. But I can't walk away and think it, that you're not crazy in love with humanity despite all of our flaws. Father, I pray for just friends inside of this room that every single week come and they don't have a confidence. They'll spend eternity with God 
because they haven't put their faith in what you did on the cross in their place, that tonight would be their night, Lord. Would you stretch out your hand, open eyes, do what only you can do, which is allow them to put their faith off of themselves or put their trust, put their confidence and take it off of what they've done or what they haven't done or what they did and put it on you. Put it on what you've done, it's finished. And when they do, they will become the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of God. They will be righteousified forever, Lord. Father, we worship you, we thank you that you spilt your blood you died for us. May that never grow cold in our hearts. We worship you in song. Amen.